Welcome to the third season of Research Chat. In this season, graduate students share the challenges of their research work. In this episode, Carla Johnson will interview Carolyn Brown about her work. First, though, I would like to introduce them. Carla Johnson, who uses pronouns she, her, is a PhD candidate at the Basili School of International Affairs and is an advocate for sustainable food systems. A specialist in participatory research, indigenous rights, and food governance from the local to the United Nations, Carla has 10 years of experience in community advocacy and policy development in the Northwest Territories, Canada, and around the world. Carla is a Shirk Joseph Armand Bombardier Canada Graduate Scholarship recipient and Wilfrid Laurier's 2022 Institutional Nominee for the Shirk Impact Awards Talent Competition. Carla is affiliated with the Laurier Centre for Sustainable Food Systems and the Civil Society and Indigenous Peoples Mechanism for the UN Committee on World Food Security. She holds a Master's in Political Economy from Carleton University and a Bachelor of Arts in International Development from Trent University. Welcome, Carla. Carolyn Brown, who uses pronouns she, her, is an environmental scientist who is pursuing a PhD in Biological and Chemical Sciences at Wilfrid Laurier University. A specialist in human impacts on aquatic environments, Carolyn has over 10 years of experience in the environmental sector, evaluating environmental risks, industrial discharges, and environmental regulation across Canada. Carolyn is a Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council Canadian Graduate Scholar Doctoral Award recipient. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Environmental Toxicology from the University of Guelph and a Master's of Science in Biology, Ecology, and Environmental Biology from the University of Waterloo. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you to you both for chatting today about how your research projects aim to create better, evidence-based policies and systems that affect the health of our ecosystem and our lives. This episode will explore Carolyn's research, which will inform policy to ensure appropriate indicators of ecosystem health are captured in environmental impact assessments. I will now turn the microphone over to you, Carla, to learn more about Carolyn's research. Hi, Carolyn. Thanks for chatting me about your research today. I'm really excited to be chatting with you because it seems like we're kind of from different worlds, but I think we actually have quite a bit in common. So to start off, can you tell me about the research group that you are a part of and how your work fits into the research program? So this is a a bit of a longer answer. So my research is part of a larger project that looks at multiple aspects of the Wollastock or the St. John River in New Brunswick and one of the large hydroelectric dams on the river, the Mactopac Generating Station. So the Mactopac Generating Station was built in 1968 and is operated by New Brunswick Power. It's about 19 kilometers upstream of Fredericton, and it's reaching the end of its operational life about 40 years ahead of schedule because of the concrete swelling problem. So this problem is causing the concrete to swell, and eventually the turbines will stop spinning. So New Brunswick Power has gone through an intensive and public review on what to do about this issue, and in 2016, decided to go with a dam renewal. So this means that they will replace the concrete in sections over time so that they can continue to operate and generate hydroelectricity. But this renewal process will require a provincial and potentially a federal environmental impact assessment. So New Brunswick Power partnered with the Canadian Rivers Institute, which is at the University of New Brunswick, 
to help with science-based decisions and management related to the Mactopac Generating Station. So the Canadian Rivers Institute then started the Mactopac Aquatic Ecosystem Study, which is a multi-year, multidisciplinary study, and it's to provide information to New Brunswick Power in relation to the river. So phase one was from 2014 to 2019, and it focused on modeling the structure and function of the river. And now we're into phase two, which focuses on providing science to the environmental impact assessment, fish passage solutions, and ecological flow guidance. So there's plans for more phases during construction and also post-construction. And so this Mactaquac Aquatic Ecosystem Study has a lot of people working on it. There are over a dozen PhD research scientists working on it, as well as a number of graduate students and full-time technicians that have also been hired. And so this program is funded by an insert collaborative research development grant with New Brunswick Power, which is very helpful. So the federal government is matching the money that New Brunswick Power provides. And so my research is part of the phase two of the Mactaquac Aquatic Ecosystem Study to assist with providing some of the science for the environmental impact assessment. Okay. Carolyn, for those that don't know, can you describe what an environmental impact assessment is? So environmental impact assessment is this process to provide information to a decision maker, which is usually the government, about potential positive and negative impacts of a project. And so all potential impacts need to be considered. So this is including environmental, human health, social, economic, and Indigenous rights. So for different jurisdictions, meaning different federal and provincial or state governments, they do use different names for this process, but I just use environmental impact assessment to capture them all. And so this process can also be on just a single project, but it can also look at a larger area like a watershed to consider the impacts from all the projects in that area. And it can also be used to analyze a policy's impact as well. But for my research, I focus on the science aspects at the project level. And so for the science aspects at the project level, there's three main steps. So first is understanding what the current conditions are before the project's built. So getting that baseline data and then predicting what the impacts of the project will be, depending on what you understand the current conditions to be and also the description of the project. And then after the project is approved and built, then you monitor to determine what the impacts of the project are and then if they are unacceptable, then you need to implement further management to reduce or eliminate them. So an example of this process is the Ring of Fire in Northern Ontario. So this is an area over 500 kilometers northeast of Thunder Bay and has large mineral deposits like chromite and nickel. And it's an area that doesn't have all seasons roads or transmission lines there. And so there really isn't that much human access there. But there are multiple First Nations who do live in the surrounding area. So there's a lot of different potential impacts from this with building road access that's positive and negative, not just the impact of the mining itself, but you're allowing then access for other people to maybe fish and hunt in areas where there wouldn't necessarily be a lot of people there before. So there's a lot of things to consider and to weigh. And one of the main issues, though, is looking at the First Nations rights in relation to this. So right now in the federal regulations, it does state that First Nations do need to be consulted and they need informed consent, but they would like to have a bigger part of the decision making. So there is some legal issues that are right now being considered about how they can be part of that. Okay. What do you plan to explore in your research? 
So there are a lot of issues in environmental impact assessment, but I'm focusing on the follow-up post-construction monitoring because it's not as effective as it could be. And this is largely because of insufficient information that is gathered before construction. So if the state of the environment before the project is built is not known, then it's impossible to know what the impacts are after the project is built. And in particular, the measurement of fish health is often completed and required post-construction, but it's often not measured pre-construction. And then also because it's not measured, impacts are not predicted. Carolyn, through your example of the Ring of Fire in Northern Ontario, I see a connection between our two different research projects particularly around including Indigenous voices within policy creation processes. Do you think you could speak a little bit more to how your research project contributes to having Indigenous voices within the consultation process for environmental impact assessments? So in terms of my research, I guess there's a lot of aspects that I'm not looking at, but in terms of including looking at that baseline information, traditional knowledge is definitely something that should be considered and In the recently updated federal law, it also states that it has to be included as well. So that's one way that we can include more Indigenous voices at that baseline, at that pre-construction phase. Although I'm focusing on the science aspect, it also needs to consider the cultural aspects. So some of the environmental impact assessments I've read have also talked about the spiritual significance of Lake Sturgeon to a particular Indigenous group. So that also needs to be included as well. And Carolyn, how do you plan to explore your research question? So I have a few steps. At first, I worked on a philosophical paper with a number of co-authors from the Canadian Rivers Institute. And this is where we were discussing the alignment issues of the three main science phases of environmental impact assessment, and then sort of twisted the perspective from assessing things from a human perspective to from a fish's perspective. So it discusses based on from a fish's perspective, what a fish needs, and so then what you can assess and predict in each of the three main phases so that you're providing that alignment and also doing things that are effective and meaningful into actually assessing the environment. Currently, I'm working on another paper, which I looked at six recent hydroelectric dam environmental impact assessments from across Canada, and then commenting on their aquatic assessments for those three main phases of pre-construction, prediction, and monitoring plans to provide a perspective on if in Canada we're incorporating more science aspects of environmental impact assessments that have been recommended for decades now. So we want to make sure that the aquatic environment is protected, so just providing some updated information on whether or not that's happening or not. I also have two case studies where I'm working in the St. John River in New Brunswick. So this is really to help explore how to collect that baseline pre-construction biological information and how to use that in the later phases. So first, I've collected a number of adult fish, smallmouth bass and yellow perch upstream and downstream of the dam to help better understand that the pre-construction fish health conditions. So the health endpoints I'm looking at are length, weight, age, liver, and gonad size, and then you compare them between sites, but also over time to understand what is considered normal before the construction starts. And then this will allow us to use those, what that normal condition is now, to compare to after construction, so we can tell if it's different or not. I also have collected young of the year. So these are fish that are less than one year old, smallmouth bass upstream and downstream of the dam, monthly from July to November. And this is to build a growth model to help with making a prediction. 
So using the length and weight, as well as some environmental information like water level and water temperature, we'll be able to then compare what's currently happening to what we predict will happen based on after the dam is reconstructed, there might be slight changes in flow and temperature as they try to improve the condition downstream with using ecological flows. So then we should be able to predict if there will be changes in the fish after construction. And so this will also fit into that post-construction monitoring. So we'll be able to compare is what we expected happened and if not, why? And so then this will end with a framework where I'm taking that information from my case studies to demonstrate how to build an effective post-construction monitoring program. You were describing how you take samples from July through to November. So I'm guessing that that means that the fish size is going to get bigger during that time. What happens if that doesn't happen or if there's irregularities in the size of fish? Yes. So the fish do grow over time during the warmer months of the year. And so we're able to see what the rate is currently given water temperature and water level, and then be able to compare that to post-dam renewal and see if the rate is same or different. And then if it's different, then need to look into why. I would also like to ask a question about the paper that you wrote at the start of the PhD. I'm excited to hear about this paper where you flip the perspective from what humans need to what fish need. Could you describe maybe what those changes look like and how that changes the process of your research? So in environmental impact assessment, a lot of times in the aquatic assessment part, they focus on water quality and quantity and maybe do a fish community survey. But there's a lot of other aspects of what a fish needs that are then not assessed or they're only commented on in a qualitative sense and they're not quantitatively measuring them. So the paper really discusses all the different things that a fish needs to survive and thrive and then how you would assess each of those things that they need through the phases. So you can include considering connectivity between wintering habitat, nursery habitat, spawning habitat, those type of things. Also looking further at dissolved oxygen or sediment types, those types of things. Of course, it really depends on the specific project, what it might be influencing. So you don't need to assess every aspect if the project isn't going to change certain aspects of the aquatic environment. But it's really trying to encourage adding more of those biological aspects to the assessment. Great. What challenges have you faced through your research? Uh, so one of the challenges is related to being a graduate student remote and working remotely. Although I did go into this knowing that this would happen because my supervisor is now at the University of Calgary. And the people I'm working on my project with are in Brunswick. So I'm often working at my house without being near those lab mates. And so coming from environmental consulting, where I could easily just quickly ask a question and the person in the office next to me, I don't have those quick discussions anymore about aspects of my project. The other challenge has been with fieldwork. So there's always different things about fieldwork that can be challenging, but in particular for me, I've had instance where I've been fishing a site and walking back to where our boat was only to see it downstream drifting away. So I had to quickly run downstream and then swim out to get the boat so we weren't stranded for the day on the side of the river. I also deploy level loggers in the water and we also attach one to a tree or shrub on shore because we need to subtract the air pressure from the water pressure when we're doing our calculations. And this year, someone from my team went to go retrieve 
the logger and it was missing because the whole tree was gone because a beaver had taken the tree for their lodge. But luckily this had just happened recently and the beaver lodge was nearby. So they were able to find the lodge and see the logger on top. And so they didn't have to go digging too far. So we were able to retrieve it. Another challenge I've had is the one year I was not able to find young of the year or those fish that are less than one year old in a specific sampling area. And because of our collaboration with other groups, I was able to ask the local First Nations for help. And so while I was able to continue doing my adult fish survey, they went out to try and find these young of the year, which are in different habitat than what the adults were. And we had we had this time crunch because there was a hurricane coming to the East Coast. So we wanted to get the field work done before that arrived. So it was great that they were able to help me with that. I can relate to some of those challenges with seeing your boat float away. I was out with the chief in Sambake and we were checking out this island and we didn't tie up the boat and we were all like checking out this like little seagull egg and then we turned back and the boat was floating away. (laughs) And so the chief had to jump in the water and go swim after the boat. So yes, I share with your boat floating away experiences. So moving on, what are the next steps in your work? So at this point, I've collected the data that I have and I have a plan on what I'm going to do with it. So I just need to really finish modeling and writing. Can you place your research in the broader context of successful environmental impact assessments? So environmental impact assessment does have a number of issues. And so I was exploring the issue of aligning the science phases because it's really important after construction is done to be able to answer if you're having an impact. And so that's not always happening effectively. So my research is demonstrating how to collect that pre-construction biological information that can be used to make those quantitative predictions of impact. And then also, so you have something to compare to during your post-construction monitoring. So it's important for developers to think early in the environmental impact assessment process, what they need to measure now that will be needed post-construction to understand if they have an impact. Is there anything about your research that you feel is important to share? So I think it's important to be adaptable when things don't go as initially planned in the field, whether that's from equipment issues or personnel availability or COVID policies. And the same is for when you're working in the lab and with data. You need to do what you can when you can to get the work done. Also, having strong partnerships can also help with your adaptability. So You can call on for help from other groups and researchers to help get your work done. And then hopefully you can also reciprocate with them in the future as well. What should people remember about environmental impact assessments? So environmental impact assessments need accurate indicators of ecosystem health like fish health. Project developers need to think about what information they will need after the project is built to determine if there is an impact and then measure it before the project starts. One of the things that I see as kind of a connection between your research and my research is we're looking at how people make decisions and how people find better ways to make those decisions. And so I'm wondering if you could describe for me how environmental impact assessments help to create better evidence-based decision-making. So yes, the environmental impact assessment process, the main purpose is to provide that evidence to the decision-maker. And so I guess where my research is commenting on how they're not actually gathering enough evidence to help with that decision. In addition, the post-construction monitoring is supposed to help understand, is there an impact? And if there is an impact, 
then they should be making decisions on management to reduce that impact. But if you don't have that adequate information, then it's hard to make those decisions. Thank you so much for sharing your research with me today, Carolyn. It's really interesting to see the different parts of the processes that go into making decisions and how we can make sure that we're having a more sustainable world. So thank you very much again for chatting to me and telling me about your research. Well, thanks for speaking with me. It's great to speak with you as well. Thank you to you both for chatting about your research. It's important to provide evidence to help create better systems in all the processes that affect our lives and the lives of fish. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's discussion on Research Chat. If you would like to learn more about the topic of environmental impact assessments or global food policy, or use this podcast in the classroom, there are resources, additional readings, and details about the work of each researcher on our website at wlu.ca slash research dash chat. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be notified of new episodes. Research Chat is a partnership between the Office of Research Services, the Faculty of Graduate and Postdoctoral Studies, and the Laurier Library. Thank you to everyone who's contributed to the creation of Research Chat. A gratitude list can be found on our webpage.